um, this is kind of an awkward time for you to come just a, a little bit. Um, we decided to take uh, the last Sunday of 2015 and the first Sunday of, of 2016 and do a, a short little deal on who we are. Now, now here's why we're doing this at this time. Um, one, we recognize that a lot of people are still going to be out of town. We, we have a, a pretty good amount of college kids um, that attend Redemption Peoria, which is great. But we also, and this is what I said last week, we recognize, um, man, as much as, you know, I use my community as an example, as much as the Myers community represents young families and college kids, we also understand, and college kids, you know, you've, most of you have been there. You're, you're transient, you're there for four years, and you're going to go off and start a life and, and move back to somewhere else that's hell, not Arizona, right? The best place on earth. Um, okay, um, move somewhere else besides there, and, and we totally get that. And, and because of that, um, we wanted to kind of address those of you who are here, like those of you who live here, those of you who um, spend your time here, who aren't going anywhere, or may, maybe you do for uh, small periods of time, but you, you're looking for a place to call home. And, and so the reason we took these two weeks is because we wanted to address you. We, we understand that we're only nine or ten months old, and so a lot of people are still kind of kicking the tires, trying to figure out, is this a place I want to call home? Is this a, a place I, I want to be my church? And so we took the two weeks and basically broke it down and said, let us tell you why we do what we do and who we are. Like, we want to explain who we are at our core. We've said we're about Jesus. What does that look like? What does it mean for us to be a church? How does that play out? And last week, I b- brought out some graphs. I had a laser pointer. Anybody else remember the laser pointer, how legit that was? Okay. Um, had, and we showed kind of so far where we are financially and all that to put that in front of you. But then what we did is we talked about why we do what we do. And here's how we did it. I'll recap if you weren't here. We opened up to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 9, and in that book, it's a letter from Jeremiah to these people, the people of God, who have been disobedient over and over and over again. And they haven't listened to God, and because they haven't, God said, listen, homie, if you don't get your act straight, I'm going to punish you. And because he's good, and because he's just, that's exactly what he does. They continue to worship false idols, they continue to beat their own chest and think they're awesome, and he says, fine. So he takes this nation, the Babylonians, he has them kidnap Israel, and he brings them into what is called exile. This is a period in your Bible that's the exile. And while they're in exile, God writes this letter, uses Jeremiah to write this letter, and tells them how they need to act while they're in exile, while they're among the Babylonians. And the reason it motivated what we do is because there was kind of these rails that we need to watch for that we see as God has done the same thing. And I'll explain that, that, uh, that in a second. But as Israel's brought into Babylonian culture, the Babylonians knew the best way to conquer a nation is to bring them in in such a way to change their name, teach them our culture, show them our ways, our philosophies, the way we reason over and over and over again. You see these ways. This is why in the book of Daniel, they changed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's name. That's not their actual name. That's their Babylonian name. So he changes, they change their name, they change their culture, and you become like them. And, and what he tells them in that moment is, no, don't become like them. Establish homes, build houses, plant gardens, care for them, be there, but don't be like them, right? But at the same time, don't create your own subculture. And this has been another issue, and this is also why we do what we do. Because the other issue is don't just um, be there among the Babylonians and not be like them, but also hate them. But, but he kind of tells them to walk this tightrope to do two things that are pretty difficult that absolutely relate to us. He says, listen, I want you to be with the Babylonians, but I want you to avoid being like the Babylonians. And so he shows them how to do this, and this is exactly what we believe we've been called to do. We believe this is what the New Testament absolutely puts in front of us. We see this in James 1-2 when he opens up. He says, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. 
Okay, we see this in Acts, the very beginning of Acts. He says, we're going to go from Jerusalem, Judea, till the ends of the earth. Most of your New Testament is written from the format of a man, Paul, traveling country to country, city to city, place to place, people to people who are not followers of this God, Yahweh. And so we've taken this idea and goes, okay, so, so we want to be with the, 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 the world that we live in, but we don't want to be like them. Now, we don't want to create a subculture, right? Because Christianity has done that well. We've made terrible movies, terrible music. We've done all those things. We don't want to do that. But at the same time, we don't, we, we don't want to fall into this. So how do we walk this out really, really well? And so um, for us to do that, I'm going to show us this morning at Redemption Peoria how we do that, what motivates that, and, and, uh, and get there as quick as I can. So the, the quick answer is together. And so this morning, everything I want to talk about is what does it mean for us to be a church together? So if you already have not open, you can open up to First uh, Peter. You're, uh, if you have uh, already, you're in First Peter chapter 2. Um, we're we're going to start in verse, uh, verse 1, but I actually want to start in chapter 1, uh, verse 1. And read something to you real quick because um, of all the language in the New Testament that talks about the people of God living among people who are not Christians, this exile language, nobody... Nobody picks up on it more than Peter. Peter uses this language, this idea of soldiers or pilgrims or exiles, what it means to be um, not of this world, right? We're in this world, right? Let's get a bumper sticker. Let's be cool. Okay, so um, like, what does that mean? How do we live all that out? And he picks up. And so when he addresses the church, this people in this, this is actually how he starts the letter in 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. So immediately he's going to put in front of, let me tell you who I'm talking to. And this is important for for you to know as well. Um, I'm going to talk to the exiles. People who, like in Jeremiah, are are, are in a world, in a city, in a place that they do not feel comfortable all the time. They they, they know it's not their home, but they recognize they're soldiers or, or pilgrims there, okay? That's who he's going to address, which is important because, let's pick it up in chapter 2 after he talks about salvation in chapter 1. This is where he picks it up, and I want to um, very much address those of you in the room who I specifically am talking to for a moment. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now I want to say this really quickly. I would love to break down uh, verses 1 and 2. And because of time I I went over last uh, service, I'm not going to do that. Um, But here's the the kind of translation is from chapter 1 to chapter 2 as this takes place. He goes on to explain, listen, for if you're saved, and then he starts off, what's that first word? So, if you're reading your Bible or, or any literature in general, if you see the word so, ask what was before it. If you ever see the word therefore, ask what the therefore is there for, right? So you're always asking previous, and he's been talking about salvation. And he said, if you are saved, put these things away. So I, I need to, to address the, the chap, or verse 2 in, in, in chapter 2 and verse 3, and where we're moving from here is very specifically towards Christians, Okay. I need to say that because I know some of you are in this room and you don't consider yourself a Christian. And that's okay. Um, that, that's not my, but, but this morning, and that's why I said it's kind of a goofy time, is addressed to those of you who are saved, and I quote, and you are growing up into your salvation. So from the foundation of your, of your salvation, now I'm rhyming, okay? Um, from, from the foundation of starting your walk with Jesus Christ, what needs to take place from there? To grow up. So, and he just, he gives us a great prerequisite in saying, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, let me tell you something. And so then I'm going to tell you what he says. We're going to break it down. If you're new to this, we're just going to go verse by verse, not even a whole verse at a time. Uh, it's like a, a large Bible study. 
And we'll get through this section. So uh, he says that, grow into your salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Verse 4, to us, this is what it says, as you, stop. I know, that's great. Here we go. Okay, Um, this you, very quickly, is plural. English, we do not have a plural you. In Texas, it's y'all. In New York, it's yous. But there is no actual you plural. And so he is referring to you, the church, us, many, uh, many of people. He's going to talk about us. It's, this, this text really is about us and our, our, um, the imperatives that are for us and our job and all this. But he's going to say, and you. And then he's going to stop. And he's going to do something that it's exactly where we need to start. And it's with Jesus. He's going to say, and you, stop, and you, Come to him, I'm sorry, and you, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Now, what we did last week was we, um, we ended our time with showing how Jesus walks that fine line perfectly that we talked about. That Jesus is, is, is very much involved with the sinners, like he's caring for them. He's even considered and called a drunkard in his life, right? He, he's very much there, but he's, his holiness isn't affected, right? He, he's, he's with the Samaritan, but, but he's, he's not, it's not rubbing off on him like cooties or something like that. He's, he's there, but he's, not, he's, he's with them, but he's not like them. It's, it's a very unique situation. We finished with Jesus, and that's exactly where I want to start. And what Peter's going to do is say, hey, I want to talk about you, but before we get to you, let me just remind you of him. Because to understand you and what you're called to, you need to understand who he is and what he's done. And he's going to use this crazy language of this living stone, this this building type language. Let me read it for us again. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Now, this is not the first time that Jesus is referred to as a stone. Um, You can actually... Rolodex in your Old Testament and see quite often as before Jesus is ever born, uh, there's these prophecies about this stone, this cornerstone. Matter of fact, in verse 7 of chapter 2 in 1 Peter, he is called a cornerstone. It's a a, a recalling in in Psalms. And this idea is is very prevalent. Matter of fact, let me read something to you. In Isaiah um, chapter 28, verses 16 and 17, um, in one of those prophecies about Jesus, it says this. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. Josh just read this, actually. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness and righteousness the plumb line. So here we go. Before we get into how we respond, let me just make something super clear about our motivation. We believe at our core, every single truth, every measuring point, all the joy you are looking for, all the happiness you seek, everything that you, you, you deem to find in other areas, Jesus is the measuring line. He is the foundational stone that everything else, whether our culture tells us otherwise, is based off of. So when you say, well, I think I should raise my kids like this. Well, what does Jesus say? I think I should treat my wife like this. What does Jesus say? I think I should go to work like this. What does Jesus say? Because he is, and I quote, the measuring line. And in a culture, hear me, this is, this is um, so prevalent that says, you can believe what you want, but I can believe what I want. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm the way. I am the truth. I, I am the measuring line. Like, you can't roll into fries, y'all, and go into fries and, and, and get 10 pounds of apples. Let's say they're $1.40 each. Get your 10 pounds of apples, roll up to the checkout uh, counter and say, hey, uh, here, here you go. She goes, okay, cool, 14 bucks. 14 bucks? Yeah, they're, they're $1.40 a pound. Yeah, yeah, I know that, but what, what are you talking about, 14? Well, you have 10 pounds, and they're $1.40 a pound. 10 pounds? That looks like a pound to me. No, no sir, that's 10 pounds. I'm, I'm measuring it right now. Well, that may be 10 pounds to you. But that's one pound to me. No, idiot. Listen. What, what, 
a, a pound is a pound no matter where you are. There is an absolute statement in that moment, right? There, there is a, we know what it is. And Jesus is the measuring line for justice. What does he say about Black Lives Matters? What does he say about Blue Lives Matters? What does he say? This, this is the core of why we're doing what we're doing because we're building everything. So here's, we want to do communities. Okay, well, how does G, do we line up with Jesus? We want to serve. Do we line up with Jesus? Everything we're doing is building on the strong foundation of Jesus Christ. This is important. This is really important because, um, you know, last night, uh, Candace and I, I hate Facebook, but, um, man, I, we ran into this thing, and I never want to be the guy on Facebook who puts those long posts, but last night I totally did it, and I was like, why did I do that? Um, but we have a friend who, like, was, is really dear to us. Um, we grew up in our Christianity, like, when we got saved, Candace and I got saved in high school, and she posted this crazy post about looking out the airplane and, and seeing what all of uh, Father and Mother God created, and, and it was like, mother question mark right and um she's you know mother god and all this and and she's claimed to be a christian this this whole time and so i was like oh heck no and so i just put listen you're lost and i put this long thing explained biblically and how it's tied to a cult and, and all these things and at the end she just put well i know mother god isn't for everyone but i appreciate your concern now now listen here here's what's crazy what she did even as a christian was she said I can take, and this is a postmodern thought, if you're not familiar with that kind of platonic thought, I can take relative truth and mix it with Christianity. I can say, well, that works for you. I know this is how you view Jesus, but this is how I view Jesus, right? And for us, we're going to go to the Bible, and we're going to say, he's the line. What does he say? And FYI, there ain't no mother God. Like that's like, so, so this is easy. When I, I lay all these texts out for, I mean, foolishly, why I engage on Facebook like this, but a long thing of verse after verse after verse after verse, and then at the end she goes, well, not, Mother God isn't for everyone. So what, what can I do? If we live in, if there's no absolute truth for us to bounce our ideas off of, to, to come to reason, to truth there, what can we do? And as Christians, we are called to anchor ourselves to Jesus Christ. He is the measuring line. He's moving forward. Make sense? Cool. So with that being said, as we come to him, he's a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. We saw this in Mark. He's rejected by men, but in God, chosen and, and precious. And, and we see he's not just a stone, but a living stone. And then he goes on to say this in the beginning of verse 5. And you, again, plural, you yourselves like living stones. Okay? So he's not just this foundational stone, but he's alive. And then he's going to say, you yourselves are just <laughs> like him. And using this building language, it's, it's kind of weird, right? And, and what he's going to say is we're, we're to mimic him. We literally, in Greek, we get our livingness from him or our life. We, we, this is what, what drives, this is what, what brings out of us. We get it from Jesus Christ, who is our cornerstone, and we base everything off of him. And now we're going to spend uh, the rest of our time in just the back end of verse 5. Um, and so, so with all that said, what does that mean to live like an exile? What does this have to do with Jesus' baseline? Well, what does he tell us to do? And we believe it's found in his word. And, and the next two parts of verse 5, we believe, is the answer. We believe this is what the church is. Now, let me say this before we, we go at this. Um, what we do at Redemption Peoria really isn't that special, you guys. Like some of you have loved to, to come into the community and, and appreciate the honesty. And every now and then I'll say the word stupid and you'll laugh. And it's like, um, but, but, but to be straight with you, like what drives us is, is not and, I, and this may be obvious to you, but it's not to get more people in the room. And, um, and, and I know maybe you can believe that or not believe that, but we have a strong conviction in the way that we do things. And we've decided to keep it really, really simple. And we feel like this verse explains um, the reason we do what we do. Um, and so I want to break it down. But I want to say this. I know that there's some of you in this room who have been super burned by the church. Like I didn't grow up in, in the church at all. I, 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 um, 
I, had, I was indifferent towards the church. I, I, I mean, I never grew up hating the church. I didn't end up not liking the church until I started going to church. Um, honestly, like, I, I, you know, we experienced some bad relationships. And I mean, in the end, I, I recognize there's a lot of baggage in this room. But here, here's what I'll say. Um, the church is God's grace, right? It's God's grace to man on this earth. It's, it's, it's his people gathering. It's, it's how um, we believe wholeheartedly um, Jesus, the measuring line, has established because he calls himself the head and we are the body. We are a part of this body. And so I want to talk about the church. Now, before I do, um, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, if, if you've never read it, it's a bizarre book. Um, it's basically a book written by demons for demons, honestly. Um, it, it's a book written from an older demon discipling a younger demon. And he goes on to talk about what is an ally for the kingdom of darkness, okay? And this is how he describes the ally for the kingdom of darkness. And then he goes on to explain how it shouldn't be that way, but it is. One of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her, spread through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes I, our boldest demon, uneasy. But fortunately, it is quite invisible to these humans. So, so what he says is, what's been great as a demon is to watch people flee from the kingdom of God because they hate the church. It's been great. Now hear me, when I say the church, he's talking to this, this younger demon, I don't mean, I'm not talking about the church that we actually know the church is. What I mean is the church how it's been acting. And so what I want to talk is the way the church should be acting, the way the church should be because, and I quote, I love how he puts this, this I confess is a, spe- uh, um, a spectacle which makes I, our boldest demon, uneasy. But fortunately it is quite invisible to these humans. I want to put in front of you what the church should be. I want to make it visible. And we believe this, this falls into two parts. If, uh, we believe every church in the nation, if holding to biblical convictions, is always going to fall into these two categories. And though it's going to be played out differently, um, we'll show you how we play it out. Um, most solid churches are always going to fall into these two lines. And the first one is this, and it's found back in First Peter, again, chapter 2. If you can look back on there, um, at the middle of verse 5, I'll pick it up in the beginning. You yourselves, like living stones, here's the first part, are being built up as a spiritual house. The first way that we want to do church, we believe the church looks like, is we believe that you and you and you are a stone. And that those stones are gathered next to Jesus on top of each other, holding each other's weight, stuck together, building something bigger. You are a part of this. And it's not the first time this language is used in the New Testament. Let me read you something to you. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 20, it says this, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So as we're pressed into each other, we're building this household of God, which is amazing. Because here's the amazing part of this. It was the temple of God where God dwelt in the Old Testament. It was this house that's where God dwelt. And now suddenly we're put on the map to go, you are that spiritual house. You brick by brick are being built together to build something beautiful called the church. Now I cannot tell you how much this rubs up against the American ethos and DNA. Like, um, I've had the opportunity to travel to quite a few countries, and never once in the Philippines or Romania or Ghana, in visiting any of those churches, did I, I ever see a pastor step up at a stage and go, hey guys, listen, um, we really need you guys to get into communities. Um, you're just not interacting with each other enough. You just, we need you guys to gather more, be intimate with one another, eat together. Not once. Not one time. 
that I, because at the core of the third world idea or ethos is, is built into this idea of community is, is a part of it. So much so that Christianity outside of community isn't Christianity. And yet our DNA as an American beat your chest man or woman is to isolate, to homogenize, to think you can do it on your own. And it's absolutely laughable how obvious it is in the New Testament. I, I've shared these things with you before, but what's crazy about this whole thing is that word plural you, okay? If you look up every single you in the Bible, 95% of them are plural. 95%. The 5% that aren't are only in the narrative passages in the Gospels where Jesus is specifically talking to a woman or someone is specifically talking to Jesus. Every you almost in all the apostles is written to a plurality of people. It's the undertone. There's a word, alelon. It's, it's the, the Greek word for one another. It appears a hundred times in the New Testament. A hundred times. 75 of those times it talks about Christian, uh, Christians serving one another, loving one another, being unity one another, giving to one another. This is the core. It's, it's laughable how much we've tried to live this thing out on our own apart from the church. Now, hear me. I'm not trying to grow Redemption Peoria. That's not the goal. I'm telling you, you serve a triune God who is in community. You are wired to be in community. This is the way you're made, man. This is at, at, at who you are. And you continue to try to fight or find. And listen, I get it. I totally get that Christians are super weird. Like, I get that. Um, when I got saved in high school, um, I hung out with a certain uh, crowd, and I, I wanted to stop hanging out with them, right? Um, and I started hanging out with the Christians, and I thought these dudes were loons. Um, they're wearing, like, the Jesus Save MySpace shirts, you know, like MySpace. For the MySpace. Uh, there's Jesus Save MySpace, right? Like, and you're like, oh, gosh, get me out of here. Um, and and, I, and, and, and here's, here's what I love about this passage, and it's honesty when it says this. Um, you are being built up. That, that being built up is a continuing verb. Meaning, you're going to find yourself in a building like this or in a, in a house uh, somewhere uh, uh, next to somebody else who's being built up in Christ. I.e., they're growing in their relationship with Christ as you are growing in your relationship with Christ. And sometimes you, who are growing in your relationship with Christ, want to punch the other dude who's growing in his relationship with Christ because he annoys you, he's liberal, heaven forbid, okay? Um, he, he has views that you disagree with. But what's awesome about this is brick by brick, we are building this church, not just, not just Redemption Peoria, not just Redemption Church, but the church. And as we come together, the unity, the unity that, that is found within diversity, racially, we should be different. Economically, we should be different. Um, age graphic, we should be different. And you bring all these people together, and this is what makes the beautiful household of God. This is what we've been called to, to be built on brick by brick next to the foundation of Jesus Christ. And he's determining how we do what we do and why we do it. So as we gather, just like in, in, in uh, the Old Testament in Jeremiah, they gathered. They were a group. The first part is, is, is as they're scattered, they, they want to be gathered, right? Um, but, but, but here's the thing. They don't want to just create their own cliques. So how do we do this? How do we as a church come together on Sundays or, or maybe in communities? How do we do this well without just creating this us versus them mentality? And I think the answer is ultimately found um, in the next part of the, the, the verse when it says this. Um, I'll read all verse 5 and uh, stop on the, the end part. You yourself, like living stones we've read, are being built up as a spiritual house, we've read, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, so there is two things that we're called here. One, we are called a spiritual house. And the second, we are called a holy priesthood. Let me explain why, because maybe that's... You know, you're unfamiliar with that. You're just a Christian. You're like, 
what, what is a holy priesthood? I mean, maybe for some of you who grew up Catholic, you see a, a priest as just me. Like, my job is to be a priest, and, and you don't know. But what's crazy is the Bible just called all of us priests. What do we do with this? Um, if, if you don't know this, in the Old Testament, uh, the priest's job was very specific. Um, and, and it had two kind of parts. The, the first part was this, that um, the priest would go to God on behalf of the people. He would go to God. He would pray for the people. He would repent for the people. But then he would also go to the people on behalf of God. He would show them how to worship. He would be their mediator. And in this moment, you and I are called priests. So not only are we just to gather in this temple, but we are the priests in this temple. And suddenly, the lights click on. Because every single vocation and job that you are at, the church is there. Every neighborhood you live in, the church is there. Every family reunion, the church is there. Every school, the church is there. You are a priest. And you're doing two things. You are not just trying to like hand them a track and get them saved. No, 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 no. Your job is a priest. You are to go to God on behalf of them and pray for them. Pray that God would save them. Pray, God, pray that the Holy Spirit would move on them. And then you would go to them and, and show them slowly but surely and building relationships with them that the, everything they are searching for in the world is, is hollow. It's, it's vanity. But, but what they're ultimately looking for, the substance, is found in Jesus Christ. And the perfect example of this is I have a neighbor who um, is, she calls herself a Christian. I don't even know if she is. I have no idea. And then I have another neighbor who um, would not call himself a Christian, but might be the nicest guy I've ever met, right? And what's crazy is he builds skateboards. He's money at building skateboards. Um, he's like, yeah, I was talking to Tony Hawk the other day. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Okay. Um, so so he, he builds these skateboards. Um, and what's crazy is I can have this conversation and say, listen, like, why do you love building skateboards? Like, what is it about building skateboards? There's something in him. And we've talked, I've used this example before. I, I can have this conversation with him. Everything you, you think about creativity is given to you by a creator, right? I am in that moment a priest. I'm standing on behalf of God to this man trying to share with him the way to worship. What is true? What is reality? That is you. That's you. Um, we use a book uh, by Chris Wright in our leadership development it's called The Mission of God's People. I don't have it on the screen because I was actually rereading this last night and I came across this quote, so I decided to share it with you. But it talks about being holy. Like, <laughs> if we're bricks to be stacked on top of one another, um, how does this play out? How do we build this house? And what is holiness? Because some of us view holiness in avoiding certain music or avoiding certain movies or, or, or uh, uh, church attendance or whatever it is. And, and that's not the purpose of holiness. You, um, your amount of reading and your amount of praying is a means to a different end. It's a means to be a priesthood to the nations. And he actually says this perfectly and talking about the Levitical priesthood and, and he's in Leviticus at this time explaining this and this is what he says about priests. In Old Testament terms, being holy did not mean that the Israelites were to be specifically a specific religious nation. At heart, the word holy means different or distinct. Something or someone is holy when they get set apart for a distinct purpose in relationship to God and then are kept separate for that purpose. For Israel, it meant being different by reflecting the very different God that Yahweh revealed himself to be compared with other gods. Israel was to be a different, Israel was to be as different from other nations as Yahweh was from other gods. So, so he would say, as we draw near in holiness, as we draw near to God, it's for the purpose that we live for God, hear me, before the nations. This is why you being the temple of God is such a big deal. Because in the Old Testament, people, all the other nations who were not of God were to look at that temple and go, what is that? Why do these people worship there? 
Why are they there? What are they doing? What's about these people? And any Gentile was welcomed in if he would submit to the ways of Yahweh. And they look at this temple and they see this temple. And they they go, what is different about this? And wherever the temple went, the people of Israel succeeded. And so they're looking. And in the same way, Peter's telling you, hey, wake up. You're the temple. They're looking at you. The Babylonians are looking at you going, man, they're among us, but they don't act the same as us. That's why if you're a doctor, you do things differently. If you're a mechanic, you do things differently. This is is why we have all of life interviews to put in front of us over and over again that your vocation, your relationships, your marriage, your kids, it all matters. Um, There's a a, a book that I had read a while back. um, It's called The Preaching of Jesus by Mark Edward Moore. And um, he he quotes a journal, um, a piece from this this man, and he was, uh, this man was in um, Laos. I forget his name. His name is, oh, John Hess Yoder. Yoder or Yoder. Um, he, he was in a missionary in Laos. If you don't know where Laos is, Laos and Vietnam is kind of, they're kind of mixed together. Um, and if you're not familiar with this, in the 50s or 60s, I believe, it was the colonials who kind of came in, create some distinct borders. But before that took place, um, Yoder, he, he was a missionary there, and he saw something really amazing that I think expresses what we are called to be as a, a holy priesthood um, amongst the Babylonians. This is what he says. Before the colonials imposed national boundaries, the kings of Laos and Vietnam reached an agreement on taxation in the border areas. Those who ate, hear this, those who ate short grain rice, built their houses on stilts, and decorated them with Indian-style serpents were considered Laotians. On the other hand, those who ate long grain rice, built their houses on the ground, and decorated them with Chinese-style dragons were considered Vietnamese. The exact location of a person's home was not what determined his or her nationality. Instead, each person belonged to the kingdom whose whose cultural values he or she exhibited. So, so what he's saying is, yeah, recognize something, that, that it wasn't where they were, but it was who they were. And th- this is us, man. Like, like I'm to live in, in the, the 68th block on Turquoise. God has placed me there, Acts 17, my pre-appointed times in the boundaries of my dwelling. He has put me there to have the neighbors that I have, the people across the street that I have, the family that I have, the coworkers that I have, the, 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 the schoolmates that I have, whatever it is, he has placed you there. Okay? And you are to short grain rice, house on stilts, whatever it is, Chinese stuff. You are to be different. You are to be different. Now, this is what I've tried to put in front of us over and over. This is how we avoid being clicks because the reality is that puts you in some pretty sticky situations. Honestly. Like suddenly now I'm telling you, go have a beer with your coworker. Go watch the fight with your neighbor. Engage in these areas. I, I remember um, Brandon Emberlin and I um, at my old house. Uh, I had a neighbor that I was really trying to witness to and, and just really get to know and love. And um, uh, we went over one night to watch the uh, Mayweather fight. And we're there, and this dude was hammered out of his mind, right? And so um, we're just engaging, right? And, and, and it was fun. And then we, he's like, okay, well, there was a fight a week later. We came back. He wasn't as drunk, but we're in his garage sitting there, and we're just talking. We're building this relationship. And him and his buddy, and then Brandon and I are sitting in their garage, and then they, they uh, light up a joint, right? And now I'm sitting here contemplating, right, because my kids are across the street, um, cops roll up, it's game over for us, and I've got to try to navigate, like, okay, so we're, like, st- we're outside of the garage, we're not smoking pot with them, but we're with them, right? This, this is what Christians have been called to do, man. This is, this is, we've, been, we've been called to be involved in these really difficult situations. Hear me, sin is not cooties. You're not going to, like, rub off, like, oh, my gosh, I'm addicted to marijuana all of a sudden. That's not how it happens. Like you are a holy priesthood to live among the nations, to, do, to act and be with these people, but to not be like them. 
This is huge for those of you who are parents, because, um, and this is a side note, I went over last time, but I gotta say this. Um, man, those of you who are parents, you've really got to avoid this more than, than, than most, because um, I think what we naturally, our, our propensity is to take our children and really to kind of shell them up, right? And protecting their purity in some ways or whatever it is, but to really have them avoid certain things. And so, um, you know, whether it be cussing or whatever it is. And so um, I, I just want to put this in front of you. The reality is, man, your kids are going to hear language eventually. You know that, right? Like whether it be in college or high school or whatever it is. And, and what you've, you've tended to do is you said, I don't want to be like the Babylonians, but you've created a bubble. And, and here's the word that we use in our household. You've avoided cultural discipleship. So Corbin is super involved in skating, right? And the skating world is super dark, man. It's super dark. And so I have, he's over there at Chris's house. They have a session on Friday nights and he's there. And I can hear these guys cussing and swearing, right? So I have conversations with Corbin. What did you hear? How do we go through this? And the other night, I'm sitting there with Corbin and Titus. And so I just go through every single curse word, okay? You may think I'm a terrible parent, but I disagree. Um, so, so, so I go through all these, I go through all these curse words and say, so here's what it is. Here's the abbreviation for it, Titus, over and over. He keeps saying a word. I'm like, Titus, no, listen, for now, say the S-H word. Quit saying that word. What are you saying? What word? Word. And he keeps saying it. I'm like, Titus. Okay. Okay. So, so we're going over this and, and I'm trying to teach them to navigate culture. And here's why I'm doing this. Cause I recognize they're growing up into a growing, ever more growing over and over and over less and less a Christian nation, right? As much as we want to label it that. Like they're going up a grown men of world that more and more hates the idea of absolute truth. They're going up more and more in the, the idea of relative truth is the way. And so I've got to teach them to navigate these waters now. So this is what you're going to hear. So we watch The Simpsons and I pause it because in my opinion, I think Simpsons does cultural discipleship better than any show on television. They, they absolutely like explode. Like Flanders is this crazy Christian and that's sometimes how we view Christians, right? And then there's the gay culture. And so we have to help them view this. Candace and I want to help them walk these waters really well. It's cultural discipleship, to be involved, to be with the Babylonians. But hey, buddy, listen, we're not like them, though. And this is what we've been called to do. That's what a priest does. He gets involved in the sinful mess of the people, but he goes on behalf of them to God. This is what we've been called to do. So um, normally at this point, um, I, I, wanna, I, would, I would pray for us and, and, and we'd be done. Um, but actually, I want to do something really different. This is where it's going to get kind of awkward, uh, especially if this is your first time. Um, because uh, at this point, I want to explain how do we do that? How, how, do we, um, how do we take this idea of being with them but not of them to be a, a bricks built together based on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, but at the same time be a, a spiritual house in the world? How do we do that? And Redemption Peoria, this is specifically how we've done it. We've kept it as simple as humanly possible. And to be honest with you, we've avoided... Um, and not like there's anything wrong with men's groups or women's groups. We've really put all of our chips in one corner, and that is community. So let me show you something real quick. This is how Redemption Peoria operates, and it's as simple as I possibly can make it. Uh, there's a graph, okay? Um, so here's, here's what we believe, okay? And this is why we're always pushing you in the direction that we are. Um, we believe you as a disciple are called, and we've narrowed down six things, and maybe there's more, maybe there's less. But we believe a disciple of Jesus Christ, he learns how to pray. He or she learns how to read uh, their Bible. He or she um, is around people to be encouraged. They're held accountable. They're on mission, and they practice the fruit of the Spirit. They practice the things of Jesus. This is what we believe the top left a disciple is. Now, we believe that disciple is called to do two things. It's super simple. That disciple is called, one, to make other disciples. An individual will reach individuals. And so we're going to push you to engage with your neighbors, to talk with your friends, have conversations with your family. So we believe a disciple makes disciples. An individual reach, reaches individuals. But at the same time, we believe that individual is called to be in community. 
And so this is what we've been talked about. This is where, um, really, to be honest with you, you get in a room with people who are not like you, who you really don't like, who, where it's awkward, right? You're, you're, you're getting together and you have nothing to talk about this first time you've met them and it's super weird and you don't know, and you start to build these relationships and it's in those communities. Now, notice I don't say Bible studies. I don't say home groups. Um, we use the, the language community very specifically because here's what we believe those communities are and here's how we navigate both lanes, to be a spiritual house but also among the world. Um, we believe, we, we tell the community leaders to get in a rhythm. We say, hey, listen, get together as a community and study the Bible. But then the next week, why don't you get together and go serve somewhere? Whether it be your neighbor doing their yard, whether it be a homeless shelter, you, you identify something as a community, to a target somewhere in the valley to serve. And then maybe, yeah, you study again. But then after that, why don't you split up men and women and, and, and share and be held accountable for things? And then, and then, yeah, you can study again. But then after that, why don't you just not do anything and go see a movie or, or, or go to a bowling alley or, or wherever and invite friends? Like, like this is at, at the core. We're, we're not creating Bible studies, though we study the Bible. We're not creating social justice groups, though we do social action in our community, right? It is an all-inclusive community. We try to make this really well-rounded. Now, here's what we know. That community, as I just said, reaches areas in our community. As Jeremiah 29 told us, we pray for these things. So some people have, have grabbed on to, to women's homes, some people elderly homes, some people um, ESL classes, some people just their neighbor, but they've identified places that they're going to pour into and they're going to pray for. But then those communities are also called to do something, aren't they? They're called to come together corporately. And that's what this is. So as excited as I am to like come up here and teach every week, and as much as I love doing it, the reality is this is not a time just to like come, be, and do this. Like that's not what this is for. The idea is to come together corporately as communities. So if you're sitting in here right now, you are, you're rubbing elbows with people who are in communities. This is a community time for us to come together, creating breathing room, if you're not a Christian, to come and listen to the gospel or whatever it is. As you come together and listen to this, this is what we're trying to do. And then we believe corporately, all of our communities together, we want to come together and we want to identify a global target. And that's something that uh, us as the elders are still trying to figure out. Again, we're, we're not even a year old, but we want to pick one place on the map and we want to pour all of our resources all of our energy. We want to, whether it be sex trafficking in India, whether it be um, uh, helping chaplains in Romania, or whether it be building houses in Mexico, whatever it is, we want to pick one global target. And so this is kind of a close, near, far model, if you've ever heard that before. And this is it. Like, that's our ecclesiology. I mean, we do foundations classes to help you grow it, but the reality is everything that we do is built on getting around other people and communities. So um, what I'm not going to do is let you walk out of here and have an out. Okay, so I'm going to make this super awkward for you now. Okay, um, if I can, if I can get all the, the community leaders to come up. Okay, um, I'm going to do the same thing I did in first service, and I'm going to bring all the community leaders up here, and I want you to hear. And this is where this is definitely not the norm if you're new. Um, I want them to explain where they are, uh, when they meet, and I want you to look up here. Okay, and then afterwards they're going to go in the lobby. Okay, and then when they go into the lobby, if you're not in a community, I want you to talk to one of them. Okay, and find out. Well, like, hey, what's this community about? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab this microphone. I'm going to, uh, is this good? So I'm going to just have them share who they are, um, where you guys meet, and if you've identified a community target, maybe you can share that. You don't have to share what the demographic of your community is or anything like that. Surpri- they'll be surprised when they come in. Um, so if you can, let's start with here with the Lopez community. Hello, um, my name is Michael. My name is my uh, we meet at her house uh, Wednesdays um, at 6.30. Um, we usually go 6.30 to 8.30, 9-ish. Um, and, yeah, 43rd and Peoria on the nearest cross streets. Um, you can talk to us after and get the exact address. We can shoot an email with that. Um, 
but yeah, um, come and join us. They come to all ages. So. <laughs> all over. Um, hey, I'm Vincent. Uh, this is my wife, Diana. Uh, we uh, lead the Gusick community. Um, and we meet at 75th Avenue in Deer Valley, uh, so north of the 101, um, one of a couple up there. So um, we meet on Tuesday nights from 6 to 8. Uh, let's see, what else? Um, oh, we have engaged, we started actually um, in a couple weeks, but uh, there is a new assisted living home that just opened up that we've engaged in them, and we're going to be serving uh, that facility. Uh, they're right across the street from our uh, community where we meet, so it's, it's great. Um, it's really close, and uh, we really look forward to engaging in them and, uh, you know, game nights and all sorts of goofy stuff uh, with them. So, uh, I think that's it. What's that? Oh, we have a lot of kids, too, and married couples. Oh, you said don't be dumb. Yeah. Never, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> hey, my name is Steven. Uh, my wife is in here. Her name's Summer. She's uh, over in the kids right now. We lead the Wallstrom community where we meet on Tuesday nights. Uh, 6.30 to 8.30. We're at like 63rd Avenue in Olive. Um, again, all age group, um, kids, all that good stuff. So, yeah. Hi, my name is Tyler, and this is my wife, Emily. Uh, we lead Healed Community over on Central and Bell area. We meet 6.30 on Wednesday nights. Go for like five hours, two hours. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're like the second most easterly community group. So if you live on the east side, check it out. Hi, uh, my name is Brandon. This is Patrice. We meet on 16th Street and Union Hills on Fridays at 7. We go till about 9 and eat a lot of Little Caesars pizza. <laughs> my name is John Denver. This is Teresa, my wife. We run the uh, Denver community on 51st Whoa. Avenue in Bell. Ooh. All right, Logan, that's my son. <laughs> a shout out. Uh, yeah, we range from about 10 to 20 adults uh, every week. We have a great time. We uh, engage with uh, English as a Second Language school last kind of year and uh, did some prayer with them, some work with them, and we're looking at engaging and actually uh, I would, uh, what would you call it? It's not a school, it's a, uh, for, for special needs adults, uh, kind of a program. So we're looking at hopefully doing that in the future soon. I'm Jim Ellis, this is my wife Shirley. We lead two communities. Uh, one is the Ellis's, it's at 75th and Glendale, northern, kind of in the middle there. Uh, Thursday night, 6.30 to 8.30. Um, come on and visit. Uh, the other one we lead is the weekly community, and I'm going to ask John and Elaine if they would stand up. John and weekly. Alright, oh, yeah. okay. so that's the Wednesday night group, uh, 6.30 uh, about 105th and Peoria. I drive there, is that right, John? 109th and Peoria, thank you very much. So, and we are, uh, we've, we've been bouncing around helping some uh, folks, and we're trying to land ourselves in two different ones, so see John or I, we can tell you more. So before we do them, I, I just want to explain real quick. Um, the idea of communities is is, um, is important, right? And so we have a, a lot of details that we try to implement in there. And for the most part, we try to keep communities at a, a solid number of 12. Uh, the reason is it's not anything special, like Jesus had 12 disciples or something. Um, we, we just feel like at 12, is there's not so many people in the room that everyone can kind of 
talk, right? So it's not like 30 people in the room, but at the same time, there's not too little people in the room that the room's not eclectic enough to, to have a lot of voices. And so um, usually when the numbers start to get higher, like the Gusset community start to did, uh, start, started to do, um, uh, when that took place, we said, hey, why don't we take this community and start a new community? So we're always looking to start new communities. And what we've done every time when we started a new community is we've put them in front of you, we, we've prayed for them, and we've commissioned them. And one of those communities that was planted out of the Gusset community is the Cosby community. So if you guys wouldn't mind coming up here, um, if you guys could tell us about who you are, and then um, us as leaders would love to pray for you and um, put that in front of uh, them as a church to even join if they're willing. Uh, hi, my name is uh, Lance Cosby. Don't hold that against me. The last name is my wonderful wife, Melissa. Um, we, uh, we have our, our group that meets on Monday nights, and we're in Northwest Peoria, 83rd and Joe Max. Um, we are averaging right around 13 adults and, and kids, so this is great. Um, we, we serve by uh, an assisted living home as well, uh, two homes. Uh, we go into their homes and, and try to help any way we can, just hanging out and doing things like that. So that's kind of uh, who we are and what we do. That's great. Let's, uh, let's pray for them, um, if you guys can gather around. And as they do, I just want to let you guys know a little bit what you can expect when you go into a community. Um, we believe, so we make eating actually mandatory. So every community, um, we, we as a church here, Tide Money, goes towards um, providing a meal for each community on a, a weekly basis and then also takes care of child care. Um, and so we, we use that. Uh, Stephen handles all the gift cards to do all that. So we have an hour usually where you just get together and you just eat together. You talk, you hang out. You get to know each other really well. And then from there, um, whether it be you study the Bible or split up or do whatever you're going to do, we, we believe a big part of that is not just, just do this, eat, and then, and then uh, do the Bible study. It's all part of being in a community. So that's kind of what you can expect. Um, let's pray for the Cosbys, and then, uh, and then we'll wrap up. Father, thank you so much for who you are. We're grateful, God, for your grace, for your goodness, and that uh, we recognize it's your church. I mean, there's really nothing we can do uh, to, to get any glory for this. I mean, your uh, the God of it, you are the creator of it, it's your idea, and it's an awesome idea to, to bring us together, uh, to remind us that we need each other, to, to show us the eclectic, beautiful nature of your body. We, uh, we thank you, God, for the opportunity to be able to commission the Cosby's now. We recognize that um, they rely completely on your spirit, that they go from here not trying to... Uh, you know, build their own kingdom, but wholeheartedly lean on you. And so we thank you for the road that they've traveled as they begin the leadership process in January. You'd continue to equip them, uh, show them how to delegate their time well, uh, to continue to spend time with each other and their, their kids. Uh, we pray, God, desperately that you would um, remind them to go after your hearts to lead this community for your glory. We love you, praise you, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you guys, they're going to be in the lobby. If you guys can, um, after service... Don't sneak out early, okay? Yeah, Josh. Josh Miles is sneaking out early. He's trying to pretend he's going to really worship or something. Um, okay? Um, they're going to be in the lobby. If there was a community up here that you saw that you can go, hey, like, check it out. I'd like to talk with them. They're going to be in the lobby by the Connect desk. Now, here's where I'm going to finish. There's a, another slide, John. Some of you, if you notice, all these communities are at night, okay? Here's another part that we believe in being in. All these communities being at night, and maybe you work Monday through Friday at night, and you can't be in a community right now, but you're looking for a way to serve. Here's what I'm going to put in front of you. There's another slide that says uh, the Jim's email and Summer's email. Um, Jim Ellis um, and Vincent Clark are over our setup and breakdown team. This is obviously not like what we call home. This is a place we come in, we store our stuff here, and, and we use on Sundays, but this is not our building. And because of that, people get here every single week, hours before first service, set up, and people stay afterwards and break down. And maybe you can't be in a community, but I would tell you to contact Jim Ellis. That's his email address. 
maybe you don't want to lift anything besides little kids, okay? And so because of that and because of whatever, you want to be involved in children's ministry and you can't be in a community, we're going to say, hey, listen, if you're in, we're doing this together. We're serving together. There's a way to serve in children's ministry. You can contact Summer Wallstrom for that. You can email her and that's a way to contact. Or again, you can see any of us and we'll point you in the right direction to do that well. Let me um, leave you with a a quote in in getting our mind around all of this. And I don't want to leave you with like a drive-by guilty to finish, but um, I, I think this quote is really apropos for the moment. And I'm important for us to, to hear because some of you have kind of been like off, like you've tried, kind of stayed on the fray and you're like, yeah, I'm in the church and maybe you come and maybe you don't and maybe you're not in. And um, I just want to leave you with something that I think um, hopefully will we'll shoot an arrow at our hearts to at least um, view the drastic nature of our decision, whether or not we're involved in a church somewhere. Um, it's from Kevin D. Young in a book called The Whole in Our Holiness. It says this, in more than a decade of pastoral ministry, I've never met a Christian who is healthier, more mature, and more active in ministry by being apart from the church. But I have found the opposite to be invariably true. The weakest Christians are those least connected to the body, and the less involved you are, the more disconnected those following you will be. The man who attempts Christianity without the church shoots himself in the foot, shoots his children in the leg, and shoots his grandchildren in the heart. And may we be together. May we understand that we need each other that you're, you're part of this body, you're not separate, and that it's a big deal. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for all that you do.